From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Now, this one I've been looking forward to as well. It's always great to have our friend Margaret McGuffin from um, Canada's Music Publishers, or Music Publishers Canada, sorry. And we're going to be talking about learning how music publishers work with songwriters. And uh, it's always an important discussion because, one, we want to make sure everybody gets paid appropriately and credited appropriately. Uh, so, Margaret, I'm going to let you take over, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you very much. I am uh, Margaret McGuffin, and as Daryl said, I'm CEO of Music Publishers Canada. We represent uh, the vast majority of music publishers doing business in Canada. Those represent large um, multinational companies, but the majority of our members are small independents uh, working across the country, and we um, work with them on advocacy, we do export missions, and we're providing more and more professional development for that group. Um, as part of that, we want to come to places like this and say hello and demystify the relationship between songwriters, composers, and music publishers. I, my staff is really tired of me saying this, but I think it's so true. Um, I think that music publishing and songwriting are the best kept secrets in the Canadian music industry. Um, quite different than when you go to LA or you go to Berlin, um, where the song is front and center. I, I think it, it's a great secret to many managers, many labels, many artists, that the vast majority of money and royalties flowing into this country to songwriters and composers is to artists um, who, you, they, they're not performing artists. You don't know their name. Um, and um, I think that's really important for people to understand the career paths, um, the creative opportunities around songwriting and composing, and how songwriters and composers work with music publishers. So I am joined today with two friends, uh, one long-term friend and uh, my new friend, Dennis. Um, they are um, both artists and producers and songwriters, and we're gonna dig into a little deeper into their history um, where their careers are going. And they're the one similar thing they all both have is they're both signed to one of my member companies, Simba Music. So we're going to talk a little bit about that so that you can understand how they have been working with Vince DiGiorgio and Simba over the last few years. So Dennis, can I get you to introduce yourself? Hello, I am Dennis Ellsworth. I'm from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, uh, and I signed with Vince at Simba in around 2016, 2015, 16, something like that. But I've known him for quite a while. Um, I used to live in Toronto, uh, and I was a performer there mostly, um, kind of where I cut my teeth. But uh, I'm from Charlottetown, and I'm back here living uh, pretty much like a mile from where I grew up. Yeah. And you are an artist, um, but you also write with other songwriters. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I've had a music career uh, in variable, variable forms for, you know, 25 years. Um, I've done a lot of co-writing in the last 12, 15 years, um, sometimes in bands that I'm in, but uh, I've done a lot of, a lot of co-writing for Vince. Um, and I write way too many songs as it is for my own catalog that Vince um, always tells me to slow down and let him catch up, but I don't give him that opportunity. Don't listen to him. So, no, no. Um, Rini, can you introduce yourself to the group? Hi, everybody. I'm Rini Smith. I'm from uh, North Preston, Nova Scotia, um, singer, songwriter, producer. Um, my story is a little bit similar to Dennis and uh, where Vince is concerned. Um, I knew him before I actually signed to his label. Um, I knew him when I was a kid, pretty much. I, I was 16 years old when we first met. Um, and he actually was one of the people responsible for me having my first ever co-write at the camp that he, he was uh, curating here in Halifax. So um, a few years later, I think probably around the same timeline as Dennis, um, 2000, 15 or I, I believe uh, at uh, Nova Scotia Music Week and 
officially signed to Simba, and um, you know we've had a, a great relationship thus far, and gotten tons of sync, and set up many great uh, songwriting sessions for me, and um, some other super cool stuff. Um, I've been an artist pretty much uh, <laughs> my whole life. I grew up in a musical family, so I've always been involved in music in some capacity. Um, started off at my grandfather's church and kind of blossomed into um, this passion for music. Um, and then I just pursued it and, you know, just trying to, just trying to do what everyone else is trying to do. You know, do what you love and make a buck. That's great. So just, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit just to explain um, what a publisher is. And um, for any of you in the audience who are songwriters, um, as soon as you write a song, you own the copyright in that song. And uh, if you have not signed a contractual agreement with a songwriter, you are your own publisher. So it's very important when, we're, we're, when you're listening to us today to think about that perspective. We are talking, um, although Rini and Dennis are both artists, we're gonna be talking about their income and their activities related to that initial step of the songwriter writing that song or composing for film and television, which they've both done a little bit of. Um, the song is then performed and the artist, and there's royalties related to that work as an artist. We're not gonna talk about that today. Um, and then the when that um, performance is recorded, um, the artist, if they are not signed with a label, they are their own label. So for all of you out there who may do all these things, you've gotta keep those three things separate and think about your activities as a songwriter your activities as a performer, and your activities as a label. And you may have various partners on each parts of those, but you really always need to be understanding that you need to be dividing the activities into those three places. And you need to think about the royalties that are coming into those three places. So we're gonna focus on that first one, the songwriter. Um, for our members, um, the um, their activities are very much um, focused on the rest of the world. Um, so while um, Rini and Dennis are in Canada and have a, a lot of activity in Canada, their publisher Vince is really focused on how those songs are going to be pitched to other artists around the world, how they're going to be pitched to film and television, how the co-writing activities may um, happen internationally. Sometimes Rini and Dennis will write for themselves, but other times they'll produce and write for other artists and, and Vince will go pitching those songs to other artists. That happens routinely in other countries and it's something that's not talked about as much in Canada. Um, the global market is very important. For our independent members, 79% of their revenue is coming from foreign sources. So really songs, Canadian songs, and scores are global in nature. And I've got Robert Zingerman here. He's an expert on, on lyric find and getting those lyrics around the wor world in various languages. That's happening all the time with our publishers. Um, you can no longer enter this business um, from a royalties po point of view. And you have to think creatively and from a business lens on the global market. And that's key to success as you're going out as a songwriter or if you're starting a business as a music publisher. We're going to talk about the various roles of music publishers. If some of you are at the point where you're thinking of, of um, talking to music publishers and signing a deal, my first piece of advice is every publisher is different. You need to understand if they are right for you. And we'll talk a little bit about that decision process <coughs> for Rini and Dennis with Vince, um, but it'll be different for every songwriter. Um, our publishers, some are just a, uh, very involved in the administration side. They're making sure works are res um, registered and they're getting the money in. But other publishers will be great at sync. Not all are the same. And other ones will have large international networks and they're really focused on creative and co-writing. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about all those things today and um, we'll have time for questions at the end. Um, so Rini, tell us a little bit about um, why you decided to start working with Vince. Um, for me, you know, it was it was a easy decision, um, just you know, based off of the simple fact that it doesn't matter if it's a business relationship or any other type of relationship. Um, the foundations for me in terms of even pursuing anything would be 
you know, if someone feels like family or trustworthy, trustworthy is a better term to use. Um, and uh, I know in, in our case, I had known Vince prior. We had always kept in touch and um, he was always offering, you know, tips and advice and um, always very encouraging, especially when I was a teenager. So um, when we decided to take those next steps into having a dialogue about possibly you know, joining his, his label, it was, it was easy for me because we had already established a relationship. I had already seen that, um, you know, he was passionate about my music the same way that I was. Um, he saw potential in me, probably saw some things at that time that I didn't see in myself, really. Um, and I think that's what attracted me to, to Vince's label. You know, he believed in my music and he believed that, you know, one day that eventually we could do some, some pretty great things. And, I had heard about his glorious reputation as being one of the nicest people on the planet. So that definitely gave him some brownie points. Um, yeah, for me, it's all, it's, all about, it's all about the relationship and how, how it feels, if I can be comfortable, I feel like I can trust them. And also the biggest thing, if they believe in me and, and, and my, my work. And my, and so they kind of, kind of made it for me to decide to join us in the family. Um, Dennis, you had a similar story. I think you told me you had been talking to Vince for quite a while before you actually signed a publishing deal. Yeah, I I was actually, um, it's a similar story to Rena, Rini, sorry, for sure. I, um, I met Vince at a camp that I was invited to in Moncton, New Brunswick. Uh, I wrote a song there at the camp that Vince really liked. And I guess that put him on or put me on his radar. And then before I signed with him, um, there was a, a dialogue ongoing. And like Rini said, you know, I got the sense that he was um, one of the nicest people that I've ever met in this business, uh, fully supportive of what I had to offer um, and quickly felt like family um, and, you know, very trustworthy um, with a track record, you know, something in the business that he, you know, lots of people have them, whether it's relevant anymore or not, but Vince is always trying to uh, adapt, you know, he's always changing what he's doing. And you can see that uh, now that I've been with him for so long and it, and it's just, it's a positive thing. Um, but before I signed with him, I had, uh, I had, I kept getting opportunities with him. He, because of that first camp, he would invite me to other camps. So I was flown to Toronto a few times to write in these, in these camps, very intense uh, situations. One of them happened to be for songs that the uh, Pan Am games were looking for, for their event that was held in Toronto. And uh, I got in the room with the right people and we wrote the right song and it ended up getting played at every medal ceremony at the Pan Am games that year. And after that, Vince thought, well, I should sign this fella. So <laughs> <laughs> which which we should point out is, and when it's played at the ceremony um it was broadcast on tv and then that ended up being uh uh leading to royalties coming from socan so it's, it's good to understand how the how the pitch then lands in in royalties down the line but what you were saying is really good you really need to understand what you want from a publisher so it's not don't sign a deal too quickly make sure you understand what you want from that relationship definitely get legal advice this may be one of the most important things you do and um and make sure that you're you know what that publisher will do with you that is different um from another publisher because as i said every publisher is different um so dennis let's talk about camps you um, um vince was a songwriter as well as uh, in his own right. And so he is very focused on creative and songwriting. And I know for both you and Rini's, he's had you at camps around the world. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the camps you've been to, but also let's start talking a little bit about that co-writing experience. Cause it can be very um, different for some people to adapt to writing with others if they've only written for themselves or their band before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I would say, you know, um, at, at the beginning, I was certainly intimidated by the process, um, mostly because of, uh, you know, self-conscious things. What are people going to think of my ideas or whatever? Um, 
But the one thing that I learned quickly uh, or that I, I sort of picked up on and applied to my own participation in these camps is that when I'm in the room with other people, um, I think it's important to give those people, everybody in the room should have an equal voice. I don't think that you should walk in there and shut people down um, because you think your idea is better. If your idea is better when you present it, it will naturally be the chosen one. I think, you know, and in most cases, I would say in most cases, in some cases, and I told you this um, story when we spoke before, but there was yeah. one camp I did in Toronto and we were writing a song and the pitch was uh, Atlanta Del Rey type song. Um, and we spent all morning working on something and the producer and I had this quick conversation before we broke for lunch. And he said, what do you think we should do? And I said, I don't really think we have much. And I, at lunch, I convinced everybody, I just kind of took the reins and I convinced everybody that we should try again. We should just scrap what we had and start from scratch. So we did that and we got a terrific song out of it. Um, I don't think it's been any, it's been, it hasn't been used anywhere, but that's not the point. The, um, you know, the point is that you kind of, you kind of have to read the room, I guess, but yeah. most importantly, most importantly, you have to be open to everybody else's ideas in that room because that's going to get you the best result I would say really good advice um, one of the things that I've learned in the six years I've been here is about how um, songwriters and producers go into rooms and the participants may not all speak English or speak the same language and Rini you've got a very interesting story about going to Japan and writing a song um, in front of everybody um, at a conference. Can you tell us uh, about that experience? Definitely different. Um, it's, you know, pretty nerve wracking to walk into any, you know, writing session, especially with people you've never met before, but then to throw an audience on top of it, who are watching you actively go through this process. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a great experience, but we really got a chance to really show people what a song session looks like, like what, okay. Can you explain where you sure. were and how you ended up there? Sure. Well, yeah, how I ended up there. I'm still trying to really figure that out. But um, I had written and produced a song called Good Girl Swag. And at the time that I wrote it, you know, it's just a fun tune that I thought would be pretty cool. Um, the song actually turned out a lot better than I thought it would. So <laughs> um, I ended up uh, releasing it. And of course, um, on, on Vince's website, you know, you can go and you can find a roster and you can check them out. Um, and Vince has a huge, 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 huge connections in, in Japan. So um, it was this label who, I guess they were just browsing the website and they heard the song and they loved, they loved the song. Um, and so they reached out for me to work on a few projects for, for some of their artists. And then that turned into them inviting me over to a conference over there in Japan. So I flew over. It's the first time I'd ever been, uh, out of North America. So that was uh, a great experience in itself. Um, and yeah, so uh, the part that I was involved with with the conference was a live co-write. Um, two of us spoke English and uh, the other two uh, spoke Japanese and we, none of us knew the other language. So I had like these, this headset on and someone was interpreting everything in my ears so that we could kind of um, <laughs> have some type of dialogue to figure out what we're doing. And the, the interesting thing was, you know, music is so great in, in this way. And especially when you're in a, a, a songwriting session, you know, everybody has something to contribute. Um, not everybody in the session is going to be the strongest lyricist. Not everyone's going to be, you know, the strongest when it comes to melody or, or chord progression or anything like that. So um, when you have a group and everyone kind of knows, you know, or can take a role, um, in, in any particular area, it, it works great. Cause I know from, especially from that Japan experience, um, I knew all of the lyrics were going to be Japanese. So I really couldn't offer anything lyric wise cause I, I, I just don't understand the language. Um, but melody was where I really found myself being comfortable in that setting. And, um, you know, I think it's great when you have a skill that you can bring and, and it adds, you know, um, Dennis was talking about, you know, 
it's great when you can get get in with a group and the collaboration just feels natural and normal and everybody finds a role. Um, definitely, definitely one of the cool experiences I've had co-writing. Um, I still actually haven't heard the finished product yet, which is crazy. I, I think I may have to track Vince down to, to, to get a copy, but um, there was also at the end, uh, the artist who we worked with, she also performed it live um, the next night. So it's definitely one of the coolest experiences for sure. That was, that's one of the best uh, co-writes stories I've heard. Uh, but Dennis, you've traveled a little bit too, um, to different camps and different co-writes. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I was, before COVID hit, I was doing a lot of touring and I tour internationally um, through Germany and the Netherlands and England. Um, and uh, anytime that I went on the road, Vince would always ask me where the gaps in my schedule were because he, he didn't want me to relax. So I, I, um, I told him where they were and he always filled them with co-writes. So, you know, sometimes I was shooting off for one day to write something with somebody else, very specific pitch, or maybe not at all, or maybe something that ended up becoming one of my songs, but there was an always, an, there was always an opportunity there. But one of the, uh, one of the trips that I, one of the tours that I did over there, there was a, a week where Vince sent me to Finland to write with a, another roster. So I bounced around this office for five days and I wrote a song every day with one of the different producers or writers in that roster in Helsinki. And that was a really cool experience. Um, Again, there was language barrier. Um, that's a that's always an interesting one. And Rainy, that story is nuts. I don't know how you did that. Yeah. It's crazy because it also led to other opportunities in Asian markets. Um, you know, yeah. I worked with a Taiwanese artist after that and like got some other things over there with some some groups and it, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there's there's always that's the other thing about this is that usually it doesn't stop right there. There's always there always seems to be some sort of offshoot to one of these things, you know, um, because the world isn't that big in the songwriting world, you, especially when you're doing international camps or you're setting up somewhere for a week to, to write. You're going to run through these people again or you're going to make new friends along the way. And those always bring opportunities, which is really great. Um Obviously, since COVID, I haven't been able to travel. Nobody has. But I did a co-write where on Zoom recent, well, maybe about a year, eight months ago, where somebody was in Chicago, somebody was in South Africa, and I was in Prince Edward Island. And like writing on Zoom is not my favorite thing to do, but it's still, you know, it's 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 still cool. Um, and we got it, it. Really seems that some people love it, some people hate it, but I think it's going to be stick around a little bit because mm -hmm. we've sorted out a lot of the technical latency issues and, mm -hmm. and, and it's a really good way to get to know somebody before you decide to spend the money to, mm -hmm. to travel. So I think right. uh, it's going to be interesting to keep that going just for anyone who doesn't understand yeah. a pit, a pitch could come from a music supervisor looking for a certain type of music for a production that they're picking music for it could be an ad agency looking for music. It could be a pitch for uh, writing for an artist in the room. So you get out of your artist's head and, and start getting into the head of that artist in the room. So there's various different ways that those pitches can come in. Um, one thing we just, as a good point, want to leave with you is always make sure you're talking about how the shares on that song are getting split. Nashville splits are everybody in the room gets the same amount whether or not they contributed the same amount. Um, and in other cases, there'll be somebody who's coming in with materials, uh, a track or a, a clear vision on the lyrics, and then you're helping them complete that. And that may change the splits. In the case of um, Dennis Rini, Vince will go in and either pre-negotiate um, that or make sure it's taken care of afterwards. If you do not have a publisher though, Make sure you talk about this. And I know it's not the greatest. You've just come out of a great creative experience. And you don't want to get into the business side. But the number one reason you're not going to get paid is because you haven't talked about how the 100% of the, of the song is going to be split. Or if you put in splits that go over 100, you're not going to get your money from SoCan or the royalties coming from around the world until that is reconciled. So really good tip before we move on to the next area. Serene, so you've had some success on sync. 
And we've talked before about um, working, um, um, one of your songs was pitched to the C CBC show Digstown. Um, and that led to a series of different placements uh, over the last few years. Can you just tell us about that? Yeah, um, another really strange story. Um, but I had written this song uh, for another purpose. I was actually gonna pitch it to my uncle, who's a blues artist. Um, so me and my brother were gonna, you know, try to write something for him. Um, but we never quite finished it or pitched it to him. Um, then Vince came down uh, a little bit later and uh, he was like, we need a blues tune. We need a blues tune for, for this pitch. Um, and I was like, okay, I have like something already started. So maybe I could, you know, just polish it up, finish it, put a little bit of a Rini spin on it and see what happens. Um, so we did, um, and it didn't end up being used for the initial pitch. So we kind of sat on it for a couple of years and Vince is always working. So I was sending the song everywhere. And then I finally stuck with Digstown and they use it in their first season. Um, and then they turned around <laughs> for season two and they came back and they were like, okay, we want to use the song again. Um, but this time we want to have you reproduce it from the ground up. Um, we're going to have one of our main characters come to your studio, record it and sing it. And, which was really, really, really super cool. Um, so I had everybody come in. I brought a band in and recorded upright bass and um, drums and um, background vocals and brought Eileen uh, in to come and sing, sing the lead. Her and I actually did some pre-production and some rehearsals on Zoom because that's when uh, COVID was really starting to um, keep us away from each other. But um, it was super cool. Um, from there, you know, just lots of other shows, getting saints and um, officially just released Goodbye. Um, that's what the song is called, it's called Goodbye. Officially just released Goodbye because I guess now everyone who watches Digstown has heard it, so it might as well be out there for everybody else. Um, so it's finally out there, but yeah, no, that's that's another cool, another cool story. Um, you know, you never know where the sync is going to take you or what other opportunities it could lead to. Um, I know thus far I've, ha I've had four syncs with Digstown, um, so I'm very fortunate to um, have established that relationship with them. You know, we see some, some great progress there. So Dennis, I went to the Brent Banff Media Festival a few years ago with Vince, and we went with a bunch of publishers and music publishers. Canada was a sponsor, and uh, actually, Rini, I think you were out with us and you performed. And we were just trying to talk to film and television productions about using Canadian songs. And we were, I was in line with Vince, looking for our, our morning coffee. And of course, Vince start will talk to anyone. So he starts talking to the woman um, in front of us, who was a film producer from PEI. So what happened, Dennis, a year later, after that coffee? Well, like, like Rainey said, Vince is always working. So he, he was working that line. And uh, yeah, so in that movie called Still the Water, um, Susan Rogers is the woman's name. And they used two of my songs, but they didn't use my versions of those songs. They had, they, they were, there were performances by the actors, much like in the situation with Rainey, but they weren't pre-recorded not in my, not with me, or I don't know what they did. I think they were live performances in the movie or something like that. But, you know, th there's all kinds of different ways that your song can end up in the film, you know. And another, another, uh, like, like Rini said, Vince is always kind of messaging. He's always got requests. He's always saying, do you, I get texts all the time from Vince saying, do you have a song like this? Like very specific. Do you have a blues song or do you have a folk song or do you have a song that sounds like Bonnie Vare or do you have, you know, all these different things. And I was I was halfway through writing a record and I had all these voice memos and I just sent one to Vince thinking this doesn't sound anything like what he's asking for, but it's the closest thing I got. And he said, OK, well, that sounds good to me. Book the studio. So we booked the studio. I went in and cut this track. He didn't even let me get get him a final mix. We sent it off to be. We sent it off for the pitch, and they used the rough mix in this movie, this feature film called The New Romantic that came out a few years ago. Uh, I think it won best. Um, some there was an award it won at South by Southwest. I can't remember what it was, 
anyway, my song, this rough mix, didn't even get a chance to finish it, is in that movie. That's so great. some sometimes it just, you know, it goes from one, it goes from zero to a hundred and before you can even really control it. And those are great experiences. Uh, and you, I guess you kind of have to be ready for them to use a rough mix. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the songs of mine that's streamed the most um, because of its placement in that film. Um, you know, I'm sure Rainey sees the same thing out of the Digstown songs. Um, so not only do you get the revenue out of the, out of the sink, but you get revenue out of the streams. It's a really good point, Dennis. Mm. So Rini, you've been moving into production too. Um, I met Rini a few years ago, actually, um, when she was in one of our, our song camps and then at Banff, but then Rini joined us. Um, we have a program that we launched four years ago. It's called Women in the Studio um, for mid-level producers who want to take that next step. And uh, Rini joined our program. And um, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, your experience in our program. We're just about to announce our six new producers um, in at the beginning of June. So watch for that. If you need need a producer for your next program, we've got 27 grads and six more coming. But Rini, uh, tell me uh, about uh, your experience in the program and, and why it was valuable. Oh, I'm, I mean, I, I was talking to Vince about this earlier today, actually. I was like, I think I've grown so much since the program, not just from a production standpoint, but just, you know, from a confidence standpoint. Um, I think for me, it was really important to see, you know, other people um, like myself actively, you know, trying to crack this industry. It's typically dominated by, um, by males. So to have a bunch of women who are now, you know, feeling like, you know, they're ready to kind of occupy this space as well. I, I thought it was great. It, did amazing things for my confidence, um, you know, being able to step into the room with other producers or engineers, um, and you know, just being comfortable in those settings, um, you know, knowing that I have the knowledge and to, to go in and really be able to contribute. Um, I can remember, you know, being the person in the background, kind of just taking orders, especially if I was like uh, vocal producing for someone, but working alongside another producer. You know, sometimes you just feel like you know, maybe you should sit down and be quiet, but, um, you know, through the program and seeing how everyone, you know, kind of came into their own and, and being able to learn and be mentored by other women who have done it, who are still actively doing it. And Hill, killing Hill, Hill, Hill. <laughs> are, are killing, you know, it, it's super beneficial. So if, if you are um, a woman and a producer or you know someone um, please recommend the program because it can definitely, definitely, um, you know, uh, if, if nothing else, it'll definitely be a motivational um, experience and, and a confidence booster. And, and yeah, I'm producing a ton now, which is, which is cool. You um, produced your sister. Produced my sister. She just released music last week, um, her very first single. Um, her EP is coming later. And um, yeah, with the uh, song for Digstown that was produced by myself as well, and a, a few other things um, on my previous project that I self-produced. So it's a new lane for me, and you know, it's it's great that I, I had the support I needed when I was you know, really trying to pursue this. So really thankful for the program. So the program, just um, if you have friends who might be interested next year, um, follow at Can Muse Pub on our socials and website. We announce the program. Um, and it is um, now a virtual and an in-person experience where we, um, COVID was great for us, actually. We, we learned how to deliver more programming um, in a seven month period, um, includes um, technical um, programming, um, creative opportunities. Um, there is a lot of attention on branding and sending up your brand as a producer, and then working within the platforms like Apple and YouTube and, and TikTok, and we meet with those the, the artist reps from those companies to make sure that um, all of the producers have what they need to present themselves as a songwriter and, and as a producer, which might be different on a, on a platform like Spotify. There are different tools for producers and songwriters than there are for artists. So it, it, we try to include that in the process too. Um, if you've got friends who are just starting out and really haven't um, done much production, there is also a great program at the SOCAN um, Foundation um, called Equity X, 
Um, so check that out too, because it's a great program for people who just want to get a start of um, using um, some of the DAWs and, and producing your own stuff um, just to, to start off. And so it's a good first step before you come into our program. So Dennis, what's next for you? We're coming out of COVID. What's, uh, what's in your plan for 2022? Uh, well, have, we're having another kid. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Congrats. So that's, uh, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm about to do. But I did, I did just get back. I flew to Vancouver recently and I made a new album with a friend of mine named Leroy Stagger. Uh, so that's done. We're just mixing it now. I don't really know when it'll come out, but that's that's the ne uh, that's the next record. But I do have a single coming out actually, and this song features Rose Cousins. Um, it's a song called "Come Back to Me," and it was it was a song that I wrote with Liam Titcombe and Ari Rhodes about seven years ago in Toronto. And it was another flying through Toronto situation. Vince sets you up in the, in the Simba writer's room. You write this song and then you think, geez, that's fantastic. I hope somebody cuts it. And then I just kind of held on to it the whole time. Like I thought, I got to put this out sometime. So recently I went back to the studio and re-recorded it all from the ground up. And um, it's coming out on June 1st. So, you know, that's... And another, like, I think Rini touched on this earlier about having a song that sticks around or that comes back around, you know, sometimes just because it didn't go anywhere out of the gate doesn't mean that it's dead. You know, that's, that's another thing that I've learned in this co-writing or songwriting world is that a song that you've wrote, written, you know, years ago could still be the next way that you make a buck. It's bizarre. Well, and it is fascinating to watch what is, um, re-recorded by new artists and and ends up uh, in a uh, television um, video games are starting to use more and more music and it could as easily be a 50 year old song as it is a, a brand new song so it's, it's really interesting to see how many lives one song can have it's or true. how a so new song can be uh, an old song can be new again mm -hmm. Rini, what do you have going on for the rest of the year um well uh a lot, a lot. Um, I just finished up my sister's project, um, wrapping up my Christmas EP. It's coming out in December. Um, headed out on tour in the fall and um, busy uh, festival season this summer. So um, yeah, lots of stuff going on and also um, writing for my project for next year. So just keeping busy and um, you know, just happy that we can kind of get somewhat normal again um, as a musician. So I'm looking forward to listening. And uh, for um, the group here, Dennis, just any final advice to songwriters who want to be getting into the co-writing space? Any, any final thoughts on what people need to be thinking about that? If they've only written for their band or written by themselves, um, how do they prep to go into that, that next level of doing camps and co-writes? Well, I think, like I said, right out of the gate, I mean, just be open, just show up with a couple ideas um, and see how they mix with the other people's ideas, you know, um, don't be afraid. I mean, I know that there's, there's definitely a, you can be timid. I mean, the, actually the very first time that I wrote with Rini, I remember Rini sitting in her chair, just kind of keeping her, keeping to herself. And, and I ended up singing the track that day. And I wasn't feeling great, but I, I, I pulled it off somehow. But the whole time I thought to myself, like, Rainy Smith is over there. Why am I singing this song? <laughs> but anyway, she's, uh, she's really come around. But, you know, like, as far as being timid, don't be timid. Just get in there and do the work because it's, it's fun. And, and, you know, everybody's there for the exact same reason. Nobody's, nobody's there to, to be better than anybody else. So just sort of take it uh take it as a team and and come up with a cool tune cool that is great advice Rini. any final advice to the room before we go into questions yeah just to piggyback off of dennis a little bit i do remember that session and i i definitely uh am guilty of especially earlier on you know being the shy person in the room and um you know 
in a, in a sense, a little bit, you know, lacking confidence in my ideas. And that just comes from, you know, not having that much experience. But with experience, you know, you'll feel comfortable and you know, you know, kind of what your strengths are in the room. And if you're with the right people, you know, you feel natural expressing yourself and, and, and feeling vulnerable enough to put your ideas out there. Um, I love going into sessions where, you know, people are really there, first of all, to have fun. Those are always the best ones. We're coming with a positive attitude. So I'd say anytime you go in, um, it's better to replace that nervous energy with, you know, positive affirmations or positive thoughts. Like, I'm going in, we're going to have fun, we're going to make a cool song. You know, it's music. It should be fun. It should make us feel something. So, um, you know, go into any, any type of songwriting session, you know, just thinking that you're going to make the best song possible. And, um, you know, you don't know what type of personalities you're going to run into. You don't know what happened to somebody before you guys got together in the room. So for me, I just always try to be positive going into the room. And, and like I said, bring a couple ideas that you may have already um, and be willing and be open to listen and, and be open to share. And um, you know, fingers crossed that, <laughs> that everything goes well. I haven't right. had too many bad sessions. But. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, we have some questions, so I um, hope you two can stick around for a couple more minutes. Sure. I'll answer some and throw some over to you. Um, so how do we find publishers to rep our songs in their list? And um, how do we find publishers who are seeking new versions? Um, one of the pieces of advice I give to people is talk to other songwriters about their publishing arrangements. It's a really great way um, to find out more about the, the, the possibilities. Um, it may mean that if you're really interested in certain genres, you travel. Um, everyone should be joining the Songwriters Association of Canada. They also have their own camp and, and the people there can give you advice on who they're working with. Um, interesting question. I remember a camp, Rini, where you, it was September and you were writing a Christmas song because that was the pitch for the day. So there's a question here, is there a demand for Christmas music and what should an artist do to get their songs heard? Well, um, I think I can answer this one for Vince. He would tell you there is room for Christmas songs and you should be writing them well now for next right. Christmas. You might even be too late. And uh, it, it's a case of, of finding an artist who wants to sing that or, or um, working with a publisher to pitch it. Um, one of Vince's most favorite songs himself is a Christmas song he wrote with Insync. So um, I think that is a song that just keep on hearing every single year. And that's a great thing about Christmas songs. Um, how do we claim <laughs> um, music once it's been distributed to Spotify? So good question. Um, two things here. Uh, one, you need to register your songs with, with SOCAN. Um, and when you register with SOCAN, um, and with CMRA, once for the reproduction rate and once for the performance rate. Um, at SOCAN, you're going to get something called an ISWC, an International Standard Work Code. Make sure you're tracking that. And every time somebody records it, make sure you're grabbing the International Standard Recording Code. Medic um, data is the way you're going to get paid. Um, just start an Excel spreadsheet and keep track of all your songs and all the recordings of that song, because you could have six different um, recordings. Um, and make sure that um, when you are going into a co-write session, that you're asking for the, the legal names of everybody um, in the room and getting something called um, uh, IPI. When you go into your SOCAN account, you're going to see it on the right-hand side. That is to make sure that if you're John Smith, that IPI is, is, is yours, and it will make sure that other John Smiths don't get, get um, heard. So as long as you've got that um, information and you're tracking it and you're feeding it out to everybody you're co-writing with, and then if you are the artist, make sure that when you're using your digital distributor that you're filling in all the fields for the metadata. And I know you're gonna spend some more time on that this weekend in, uh, at this conference. Um, do, you, do you have any advice for those wishing to get into the publishing business? We like to represent artists and their catalogs. Um, if you want to move into um, the songwriting publishing world, uh, make sure you're asking lots of questions. Um, we will be offering with the Music Managers Forum a two-day um, course on music publishing. So that's a way to take a bigger deep dive. Um, also get involved with your 
your regional associations across Canada and attend conferences like this. Um, would distribution through CD Baby without working with SongTrust or CD Baby Pro miss those global um, mechanical royalties? Um, I think there was a CD Baby um, piece this morning. I know they are global, but it's a very good point. Make sure that if you're signing a pub publishing deal or you're signing with SongTrust or, or CD Baby Plus for your, your publishing royalties, or you're talking to a publisher, make sure you're looking at your royalty statements afterwards and making sure you're looking that all the territories that you know you were reaching are reported on those SOCAN statements, on those other statements um, that you're getting from your digital distributor or your publisher. So um, a few more questions here. I think actually that is okay. Okay, can you speak about the different ways to or things to look at for negotiating sync? Um, that is, you need to talk to the experts, um, make sure you're getting someone um, from a legal background looking at the, your first sync agreement. You don't want to just be signing anything. Um, and um, um, if you have a publisher, um, that's one of the questions you want to talk to them before you enter into the publishing deal. What experience do they have with sync? Um, a lot of independent songwriters pitch themselves, but you're then splitting up your time. And, and one thing about having a publisher is they are experts at sync and they can do it in, uh, they have connections that you may not be able to get as an indie. Are there any songwriting camps that you can recommend for a new songwriter? Yes, everybody should take a look at the Songwriters Association of Canada song camps. Um, the different regional associations have been running song camps each year. So reach out to um, Ontario, um, the uh, Manitoba Music and the different um, uh, provincial associations and look for what they may have. And um, SOCAN also does some song camps and some um, Monday co-write code writing sessions. So reach out to your SOCAN rep. Are there any other questions before we wrap up today? Hey, Margaret, it's Daryl. Uh, I was, if I, if it's okay, if I make a comment, um, the importance of networking and just going out there, you never know who you're going to meet. I know you've heard my story before about Joel Parks. Uh, he was, I think in his forties in a songwriter from Peterborough, he would drive to Nashville and then he'd drive to New York every two weeks, pick between the two. And through that, he would just go there want to co-write, want to co-write, want to co-write. And eventually one of the songs ended up on a Kimberly Locke album and she was number three in the first American Idol. And that song broke a lot of dance top 40 type records and things like that. So went from total unknown songwriter in Peterborough to right after that, I was with him at uh, CSAC Awards in New York because they thought he's going to win an award next year, which he did. Uh, so the thing is, is go out there and, and yeah. you have to put yourself out there. You have to. Well, one of our friends, um, Rini, my friend, um, Bria Isabel um, from Nova Scotia, she really wanted to um, look at Nashville and, and dive more into producing. So she just moved to Nashville for six months um, to do an internship. And after she returned, she got a, a publishing deal with uh with Concord. So that move for her was a very big um, move towards um, doing more production coming into our program after that, but also then um, getting a, a, a new publishing deal. So your point about traveling and networking and, and getting out there and talking to other songwriters and publishers is really important. Yeah. And, and you know what? Canadians are killing it in Nashville right now. Yeah. Uh, Emma Lee is, is a she's always songwriting and co-writing and uh karen i always get her name wrong kazowski i believe yes uh, she produced the whole um super bowl uh yeah it's it's a crazy time so, show That's yeah who i wrote the the uh, pan am games tune with karen. oh yeah karen. There was one other one other person in the room but that's great she's in nashville Cool. Yeah, she's she's killing it. Uh, Grammy uh, Grammy nominated producer now, um, mm. and uh, I think she played the first indie week in Toronto like 2000 and early. So uh, yeah, it's great to see Canadians getting out there. Uh, but 
you have to get out there. You have to put yourself out there. And I think that's part of songwriting is um, taking that chance. And I think it leads to stories, which leads to more creative process that more, more inspiration, I think. And I just came back from Juno. So I got to do a shout out to Hill, who was the first woman ever nom- nominated as an uh, engineer of the year. And she won on Saturday night. And then also uh, Wonder Girl as a producer of the year. So uh, the producers are just out there and are strong. So it's great to see. I, I loved seeing it. Actually, uh, I thought of you, Margaret, when I saw Hill uh, get announced as the winner. And uh, did you hear uh, us? We were so loud. We were at the back of the <laughs> room. And we it was were, awesome. We were cheering her on. Yeah. And, and again, you know, another Indie Week alumni. She played Indie Week, I think she was 16, as Drowning Girl at Sneaky D's. And I remember having to kind of sneak her in at Sneaky D's to be able to play at 16. So, uh, and she, just signed a, a pu- she just signed a publishing deal with our member uh, CCS management, Dave Tripper. So um, awesome. they are going places. See, we could so go on about all. We could co- go. Congratulate. Yeah. So thank you, um, Dennis and Rainey. Uh, Dennis, we, I've been hearing about you for years. So it was so nice to finally meet you and to be able to have this discussion. And Rainey, thank you again. Always a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Uh, do either of you have any closing comments? Last minute of bit of advice. I don't think so. I think we did we did pretty well. We covered, a lot, <laughs> covered a lot of ground. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thank have, you. Thank you for this. And thank you, Margaret. Yeah, have fun. It's a business, it's, but you also have to have fun. Spill okay. some coffee. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Thank you so much, Margaret, for putting this together. And uh, I look forward to doing more with you uh, as we keep growing through this business uh, and online in person. Uh, The main thing is connect, collaborate. You've been listening to the Indie Weekly Podcast. Be sure to visit IndieWeek.com for all the information on the conferences for 2022. Screen by Screen, Music and Tech in February. Indie 101, Music and Business Education in May. Music Pro Summit, high-level music industry insight from professionals in September. And Indie Week brings it all together in November. Thanks for listening.